You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Hello, Cornelia Church. I am uh, thrilled to speak to you one more time uh, right here at the beginning of the year about how important it is for us to reset ourselves back to some of our foundational uh, principles. I want you to remember this. If you've been a part of our series the last couple of weeks, this should ring true with you. But a reset without a change is just a repeat. And we don't want to repeat the past. We want to always learn from it so that when we reset, uh, we're not just going to a place where we have forgotten what we've learned, but we're carrying uh, that back with us so that we can reestablish ourselves uh, on the solid place that God has given us. And then we can move forward more effectively into the future. So we're talking in this series about a factory reset. And uh, we, we want that's that button that you push, that you go back to the beginning, and it kind of resets the values to the very beginning place so we can move forward. We're, we're using our vision and value statement that we have as a church as, as our foundational stones. Now, whether or not you're a part of, uh, of Quinonia Church, I believe that these, these stones that we're talking about really do represent the core foundations of, of every follower of Jesus. And I know that they'll strengthen you. I know that they'll encourage you. I know that they will be uh, reminders of the things that you need to go back to here at the beginning of the year so that we can move forward in 2021 even more effectively and really receive what God has for us. Now, our vision statement is igniting contagious faith in the one God who restores all. If you're part of the chat today. Uh, we've got a wonderful chat community that's engaging. Just do me a favor and type that in. At least type into the chat, Igniting Contagious Faith as our reminder of who we are, people who are full of life, full of the fire of the Lord, and who are seeking to pass that on to other people. We're being lights in our, in our community. Now, our values that we have been looking at uh, are, are these, these five things. Jesus is everything. People matter. Transformed lives authentic community, and Holy Spirit-led. And we've been sort of working our way through these. Uh, this week, I'm going to talk to you about transformed lives. I'd like you to say this after me. If you're sitting alone, if you're sitting with a group, wherever you're at, uh, I want you to say this. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. You know, there, there's a lot of ways that you may not be okay today. I, I know that's certainly true of me. I'm not okay in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm kind of messed up, frankly. I'm, I'm carrying some baggage around from past mistakes, from things that I've done, said wounds that other people have inflicted on me, the weight of the wounds that I've inflicted on other people, right? You, you've got those same things too, habits and tendencies, the, those things that we like to call terminal tendencies, that keep cropping up in, in my life. And they have the potential, I know they do, to destroy me, to destroy my family, uh, to destroy my future. And these are things that, that we carry around with us. We're dealing with them all the time. We're, we're not okay. So where are you not okay today, right? What are, what's broken inside of you? What are you carrying this week from the things that maybe you have seen or dealt with? What, what demons do you have that are hanging on to you? Uh, and where are you out of control in your life? All of those are areas where we're not okay. And I want you to know that you're not alone in that. I want you to know that it is, in fact, okay to not be okay. That's, that's why we need Jesus. That's, that's why we come to Jesus. 
But I also want you to know that it's not okay to stay that way, that we are actually called out of that place. That's where transformation comes in. Jesus loves us right exactly where we're at, but he calls us out of there. He, he actually wants us to change. He wants us to be transformed into something more beautiful. Now, if, if someone tells you that uh, Jesus loves me just the way I am, I don't have to change, uh, I want you to know they, they only have it half right. I, I think actually it's pretty popular these days. We, we find ourselves saying things like this about ourselves. I, I'm beautiful just the way I am. Now, that's, that's totally true, but it's not the whole story. It's, it's missing something that's also really important for all of us to grab a hold of. There is actually more beauty for you on the other side of transformation. We always have more to learn, more to change, more areas to grow in, and it requires us to receive this call from Jesus to come out of the place that we're in, that place that he loves us at, but actually he's calling us to somewhere different. Now, I want to begin by telling you the story of a man named John who was born almost 300 years ago in 1725. Now, John's mom was a believer and, and she taught him the scriptures as a young boy. His dad was a sailor and sadly enough, his mom died when he was about seven and, and dad took him to sea and began to teach him the trade, right? He became a sailor just like his father. And according to his own record, as he grew up, he began to live a highly immoral life uh, with lots of drinking, lots of sex. You know, he, he said, I, I sinned, this is a quote from him, I sinned with a high hand and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. That was his business. He was belligerent and he was obstinate. He was always getting into trouble. trouble. In, in the British Navy, at one point, he received eight dozen lashes, 96 lashes with a whip. And he was busted down to the rank of a common sailor just because he was such a, a rebel. After being dismissed from the Navy, he began to work on slave trading ships, which of course were very much a part of the trade at that point. First as uh, a first mate and then later captaining his own, his own ship. When he was just 22 years old on one of these ships during a huge storm that they encountered, uh, the, the storm began, it, well, it was so violent, it, it started to basically sink the boat and they were pumping water out and it just seemed like it was, uh, it was all hope was lost. And it was in that moment that John cried out, to the Lord. In that moment, he, he was saved. He was born again, as Jesus puts it, though he himself said later on, he said, I can't consider myself to have been a believer at that moment, not in the full sense of the word. It was almost like he recognized there was a beginning there and he began his transformation with Christ. For years after that, he continued to work on slave trading ships. According to him, what he was doing was as a Christian, having some hope to maybe restrain some of the worst parts of the slave trade, promoting the life of God in the soul, uh, in both his crew and, and also in his cargo. Now, when he was 30, he left the sea and he took an office job. This is when he began Bible studies in earnest in, in his house and slowly and, and surely his life transformed he became increasingly disgusted with the slave trade that his whole life had been involved in and just became so concerned with what he had done that he gave his life in completely a different, different direction. 
Uh, he quit the work completely uh, associated with sailing and the business of the slave trade, gave himself to the ministry of the church and became a parish pastor. It was during that time when he was 47, 25 years after his conversion, 25 years after that nearly fatal incident on the boat, he wrote the song that we know today uh, as Amazing Grace. And John Newton was the man's name, and he was a transformed individual. Uh, later on in his life, he, he wrote a, a book that was called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. He did it in support of that campaign that William Wilberforce was leading in, in Britain against the practice of slavery. He, he said this, it was a business at which now my heart shudders. It was something that as he thought about that wickedness, that he was just completely embarrassed that he'd ever had anything to do with. John Newton was, was a man completely changed, completely transformed. That word transform is defined as making a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. I mean, we're familiar with it, but let me read you a slightly longer definition uh, from uh, the Tyndale Bible Dictionary. This is good. I want you to pay attention. Transformation is an inward renewal and reshaping of the mind through which a Christian's inner person is changed into the likeness of Christ. See, it's a process that we are engaged in in this relationship that we have with Jesus. Paul told the Roman believers, be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Romans 12. Now, as Christians, a Christian's life progresses, the person should gradually notice that his or her thought life is being changed from Christlessness to Christlikeness. Remember, transformation doesn't happen overnight, right? Regeneration is instantaneous. Salvation is instantaneous, but transformation is not. Christians are transformed into Christ's image gradually as they spend time beholding him in intimate fellowship. Eventually, they will begin to mirror the one they behold. The Apostle John said it well. We can't even imagine, he said, what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. It's a long quote, but I think it said it so well. Transformation for the Christ follower is, it's an inside-out process. It's not an outside-in process. Now, this often doesn't make sense to us because we think in terms of the external. Right? God, God told Samuel in the Old Testament, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. Listen, this, this is why we put people in prison, so we can control their outsides, right? So that we can control their body. Uh, parents, if, if, you're, if we're not careful, this is what we do with our kids, right? We, we seek to control their body, their behaviors. Don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't you dare look at me like that, right? We, we say all kinds of things to try to control their externals. We put them in a prison of sorts. And then what happens with many of them when they get out of prison? Well, we, we finally see what's going on inside. We discover what has happened in their heart. Let's think about it in a different way for just a, a moment. Um, I think you can tell what's going on inside of a person 
by how they react to what's going on outside. Now think about how you react to externally imposed rules. Now listen, maybe no, maybe you're not like this. Maybe you're not like me, right? But when I see a sign that says don't and whatever it is, you fill in the blank there, the very first thing that I want to do is exactly the thing that it says don't do, right? Take speed limits for an example. I hate them. The moment I see a speed limit sign, it's like a, it's a challenge. Uh, if the sign says 45, doggone it, I'm going to go 46. If it says 55, I'm going to go 56. If it says 65, well, I'm going to go 100. Uh, I, I, it, it never fails. I start to rehearse to myself immediately as I see that sign how ridiculous it is for them to impose these silly rules on me, right? I mean, I've driven in the desert before. Have you ever driven in the desert? This is where it really works, right? Maybe Death Valley or out there in one of those places where there's a long stretch of highway. There's nothing there. It's flat. You can see for miles. Arizona, Texas, one of those places. They still have those stupid signs, right? There's no one else out there. It's in the middle of the day. I mean, come on, the 65 miles per hour speed limit, you know where that comes from? That comes from a study that the EPA did back in the 70s to help save gas mileage during the oil embargo. What a silly law. What an infringement on my God-given rights. These politicians, they're just trying to control me. I'm a free man, right? Nobody can mess with me. I might even quote a Bible verse to myself at that point to make myself feel really good. I'll say something like, you know what John 8.36 says, he who the Son sets free is free Indeed. Thank you, Jesus, for my freedom. Uh, that's what goes on in my head all in just half a second as I see that sign and my foot mashes the gas pedal down. All because of a silly number. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do. Proverbs 22.15 says, uh, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, foolishness here, it, what it's talking about is the love of mischief. It's, it's a self-will. I'm going to do it my way, right? That is bound to the child's nature as opposed to a yielded will, right? A, a, an obedient will. And we all have that same foolish child inside of us in lots of different ways. And honestly, that's a demon that needs to be driven out of each of us. It is that, that inner child, that inner rebel, that inner sinner that needs to be transformed. And controlling behavior doesn't fix the problem. Locking people up, it doesn't fix the problem, right? Passing more laws doesn't fix the problem. The only real way to fix the problem is to change from the inside out. And that's how the prophet Ezekiel describes it in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36 beginning in verse 25, says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put, you my, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I mean, isn't that what we all, what we all need? A good cleaning deep down, 
deep down inside of us, a, a new heart and a new kind of motivation, a new desire. God, would you give us something that's different on the inside of us, right? Make our heart desperately want the things that make you happy, a heart that makes us loving and compassionate and obedient to your voice. I'd like to read one more chunk of scripture uh, with you for the next few moments. Uh, ironically, it's a, it's a different version of the very same story that I read, I think it was just two weeks ago during my message on Jesus is everything. Uh, scripture is so powerful that when we really start to immerse ourselves in it, when we really start to look at it, we discover that there's so much more that will be revealed even out of just one story or one verse, if we'll just give it some time. Now, the story I'm going to read is in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read about 20 verses to you, so it's going to take a moment. Stick with me. It's, it's a pretty engaging, compelling story, so I don't think you'll have a problem. Uh, but even if you have heard the story, I want you to listen with, with extra attention. I, I don't want you to make the mistake that I often make of missing things because we are so familiar with them. Mark chapter 5, beginning in, in verse 1. They arrived at the other side of the lake, at the region of the Gerasenes. As Jesus stepped ashore, a demon-possessed madman came out of the graveyard and confronted him. The man had been living there among the tombs of the dead, and no one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. For every time they attempted to chain his hands and feet with shackles, he would snap the chains and break the shackles in pieces. He was so strong that no one had the power to subdue him. Day and night, he could be found lurking in the cemetery or in the vicinity, shrieking and mangling himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran to him and threw himself down before him, screaming at the top of his lungs, Leave me alone, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Swear in God's name that you won't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, Come out of that man you demon spirit. Now, Jesus said to him, verse 9, what is your name? Mob, he answered. They call me Mob because there are thousands of us in this body. He begged Jesus repeatedly not to expel them out of the region. Nearby, there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission and the demon horde immediately came out of the man and went into the pigs. This caused the herd to rush madly down the, sleep, the steep slope uh, and fall into the lake, drowning about 2,000 pigs. Depending on weight, the cost of those 2,000 live pigs today could be as much as $250,000. The economic cost to the community over the loss of this herd was significant. Verse 14, now the herdsmen fled to the nearby villages, telling everyone what they saw as they ran through the countryside. And everyone came out to see what had happened. Can you imagine? I think I would have come out too. When they found Jesus, they saw the demonized man sitting there, properly clothed and in his right mind, seeing what had happened to the man who had thousands of demons. The people were terrified. Those who had witnessed this miracle reported the news to the people and included what had happened to the pigs. Then they asked Jesus to leave their region. 
And as Jesus began to get into the boat to depart, the man who had been set free from the demons asked him, could I go with you? And Jesus answered, no, but said to him, go back to your home and to your family and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he had mercy on you. So the man left and went into the region of the Jordan and parts of Syria to tell everyone he met about what Jesus had done for him. And all the people marveled. Now let me make just a, a few uh, comments from, from this text that I think we can draw out very quickly and you're going to see them little by little. Uh, and if you're taking notes, you can write these down. And if you, uh, if you haven't been following along, you certainly can do that always on the Bible version, uh, the version app, rather, our Bible app on your phone. There's a spot there under events if you're watching this live and you can grab the, the outline there. And this is the first thing I want you to see in this text. Number one, everyone can change. Everyone can be transformed. Even the ones that we have written off, even the ones that seem impossible, right? Here, Jesus, he steps onto the shore. There's a demon-possessed madman who comes out and confronts him. Uh, and this guy, the whole community had given up on him, right? No one, the verse says in verse 3, was able to restrain him, not even with chains. But Jesus steps into the scene. He confronts a situation and a person that seemed completely hopeless. No one could do anything about it. They had, this person, it would seem, had fallen too far to be saved. Have you ever thought of someone that they're too far gone? They're, you maybe tried to help them. You prayed for them. They prayed for themselves. They said all the prayers. They repented. And then they just repeated the same thing over and over again. Maybe the person is you, right? You've given up and you're at the, or you're at the risk of giving up because of that same pattern that you've seen. And just like, man, I don't even know if I, if I ever can have any hope of transformation. Well, I have good news for you, right? Jesus can change anyone and everyone. There are no hopeless cases. There are no throwaway people. There is always hope of transformation. The second thing I think we can see here is that there will always be times when we don't want to change. I love the picture that we get, right? In verse 6, the, the man sees Jesus from a distance. He runs to him and throws himself at his feet, and he screams, leave me alone, right? Please don't torture me. I think it's kind of funny, right? He runs to Jesus when he says this. He's supposed to be running away. And it's almost as if even when he wants to change, he doesn't want to change, <laughs> right? Even when everything inside of him says, ah, I, I, don't, I want it to be different. I want to be set free. Yet he still is there screaming at Jesus, don't torture me, leave me alone. It reminds me what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, in which he describes, I think, what we all struggle with, the same the same thing. He, he says, I find myself that I do what I don't want to do, and the things I hate, I end up doing. Uh, this, there's this reality of an internal battle that's going on inside of us all the time. It's a battle with sin, with our flesh. Our flesh desires and screams out and shouts loudly and threatens us, right, and tries to get us to listen to it. Even at the very moment that we hope to deal with the sin in our life, the temptation, the very moment we hope to say, we're trying to say no, we find ourselves saying yes. We want to be delivered, 
but we don't want to hurt, right? Please, Jesus, don't torture me. Don't make it painful. It's like just what the man says to Jesus, we kind of feel that, that same way because there is a certain sense in which we want to change, but we know it's going to be difficult. Thirdly, change always comes with a cost. Change always is going to cost you something, right? In the, in the story, it costs that community, it costs the, the, those herdsmen of the, of the pigs many tens of thousands of dollars uh, as they rushed into uh, the water and drowned themselves. It was, it was so costly for this community that actually they begged Jesus to leave because they couldn't seem to bear the pain or the cost of the change that had happened. What if Jesus asked for more change, right? What if he really started messing things up? The truth is, is that transformation, it's not easy, right? That the start of it costs Jesus his life and his blood. The start of your transformation in your life costs the greatest person in the universe, the son of God, his own life. And for that transformation to continue is going to cost you your life and your blood. My life and my blood. The devil doesn't give up easily on his determination to destroy you and your life in every way that he can. If he can't destroy you, he's at least going to do the best thing that he can do to hamstring you with little sins, with little things that keep tripping you up, that keep you back from changing in the way that he wants you to so that you can experience the things that he has for you. The truth is, is the world is not going to give up easily on its determination to suck you into its lies. It's going to keep telling you to conform, to go with the flow, to give in to the status quo. It's, it's, it's going to seek to pull you into hatred and division and giving up on the fight for freedom. Your, your flesh is not going to give up very easily, right? The very body that we live in so often seems to betray us, our old nature it keeps coming back like a zombie from the dead and whispering to us and tempting us and seeking to pull us back in. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something to overcome these things. The road to transformation, I want to be honest with you, is the road of pain. Right? The Via Dolorosa is that road that Jesus walked on on the way to the cross. But for all those who are willing to embrace the pain of dying to sin, and to self, and to pick up their cross, all of them will discover that there is joy on the other side. For, for those that yield under the mighty hand of God and say yes to the way of obedience, there really is, there's a sweet crushing that happens as our self is pressed and crushed and a new beautiful transformation emerges. Oh, Jesus, we say, please, please don't hurt me. But please do hurt me, for your wounds are always made with precision. Like a surgeon who cuts out the offending tissue, the poison, and leaves only that which is healthy and good and life-giving. When we're willing to embrace the pain that Jesus offers to us, we discover there's a sweetness there because there's a beautiful work that he's doing. And Number four, when, when Jesus changes you, people notice. There's the man in verse 15, as the village crowds around, you can sort of see the image. They'd heard about what had happened and here they come and there's Jesus and 
There's that guy that everybody knows from the community. There's that guy that used to be cutting and screaming and out of control and, and everyone was afraid of him and avoided him. There he is sitting clothed and in his right mind. There's no fear any longer. There's no terror in his eyes. And they all marveled. They all saw exactly what had happened. My friends, your transformation is your testimony because it's your story. And it's honestly, it's more important than the stories we hear on the news or on the Twitter feeds or social media. Your, your friends and your family, your community will see Jesus in you if we allow him to change us. And if you're not changing, if you're not growing, then there's not much to see. That's the most powerful thing that you have for this community is you, your own internal inside out transformation into the image of Christ. Fifthly, change comes with responsibility. Jesus speaks to the man who's asking him, can I please go with you, right? Can I go with you wherever you're going? And Jesus says, no, 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 I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go back to your home, to your family, and I want you to tell them what has been done for you. Tell them, he says, how he had mercy on you. See, when, when Jesus changes you, that's our call. Tell them. Our job is to tell, is to tell others. Our number one job, hear me now, our number one job is not to convince other people of how our faith makes sense. That's called apologetics. I love apologetics, right? I believe in apologetics. I studied it for years. Uh, but the real power is not found in your ability to convince someone else of a truth. The real power is in showing someone else and telling someone else how Jesus changed you. If you keep your mouth shut because you don't know enough, then you don't understand how things work. And I hear people do this all the time. They say, I, I, I'm not sure if I, I, I really can share. I don't really, I'm afraid I'm going to get asked questions I don't have the answer to. I'm not a Bible knowledge person. I don't have enough experience. And I just want to tell you, your qualification is found in your experience of transformation in Christ, not in your knowledge of Scripture. Yes, you need to grow in your knowledge of Scripture. Yes, you need to learn more. Yes, you need to grow in that area. And yes, as you do, you'll become more effective in sharing your faith. But it always begins, and it must begin, with an empowerment that comes from your personal transformation story with you in your relationship with Christ, with you embracing what he has and what he's asking you to do. I'd rather have somebody any day, right, that has been powerfully impacted by Jesus than someone who has studied and can quote scripture, chapter and verse, but doesn't have him living inside of them. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to go and tell others about what Jesus has done in you. And lastly, and Number six, and I'm going to go outside of the story, but it's a truth from Scripture. It's simply this. There's always more change ahead. <laughs> no matter how far you have come, we discover that Jesus has more for us. Second Corinthians 3.18 says this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him 
as we are changed into his glorious image. That's a more and more process. There's a little by little process. There's, there's a transformation process that we are called to as Christ's followers. Jesus, he himself is always talking to each one of us. He's always whispering to us about adjustments that we need to make in our lives. It could be about an attitude. It could be about a careless word, a habit, a, an unintentional offense. The more time we spend with him, the more we realize how much there still remains for him to work on. Uh, honestly, it's pretty easy to fix the outside. The inside takes a long time. If your goal is to stay the same way you are right now, then you might be in the wrong place because it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. So where do you need to reset? Perhaps it's time to go back to the beginning, right? To that beginning place of your holy and sacred commitment to Christ, that place and time where you gave everything to him. You invited him to speak into every area of your life. You were open to his transformation. That time before you started resisting in small ways, when he asked you to transform it in ways that you maybe weren't ready to. I just want to say, invite him back into those, into those spaces. Or perhaps for you today, you realize that you've never really done that to, beginning, to begin with, right? There's, there's maybe not that beginning place. You've never received Christ's invitation into his kingdom and into a new life. Uh, for you, this right here can be that, that moment, that place where you start. A uh, starting place is critical to transformation. Like John Newton, as I spoke about at the beginning of the message, there was that moment that was a beginning, even though he himself realized that it all didn't change at that moment. It was just a start. And this week I had a conversation with someone who told me about that beginning place for them. That, that starting spot. And they said, man, I, I haven't reached it all yet. Even in that moment, I was so much I didn't know. But it's evident that from that beginning point, there's been growth. And he's loving the Lord and he's following the Lord more and more every day. The truth is, is that God has called us, each one of us, given us an invitation. And if you haven't received his invitation, then that's your start today. It won't all be fixed but he will make you into a new creature and begin to change you from the inside out. Whoever you are, where, wherever this message hits you, whether you've known Jesus for many years or whether you're just beginning in a relationship with him, there is transformation that he's calling us into. There is an invitation to say yes to him in the area that he's calling us into. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you have loved us enough that you care for us right where we're at, but then you call us out of that place. Thank you for your patience. I thank you for the gentle way that you continue to challenge us and continue to remind us of the things that you have called us into. Lord, forgive us for saying no to you. Forgive us for resisting because we were afraid of the pain of, of change. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that that we would be a people that would be willing to be transformed, that would be willing to say yes. I pray that you give us the courage, 
courage, Lord, even though we're afraid, even though we would say, oh God, please don't hurt me, don't make it hurt too bad, that we would still be willing to say, you know what, Lord, even if it does, even if it costs me everything, we want to take up our cross. We want to say yes to you. So forgive us, Lord, for saying no. Forgive us for those areas where we have turned away. And I pray now, Lord, you give us the courage to say yes, the courage to walk forth with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at caseyhamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.